Okay, everyone, we are all talking about Novak Djokovic, the famous tennis. He's world number one, right? Oh, you wouldn't know. You said you're not a tennis fan. I'm, I'm not, no. But right. um, but everyone refers to him as number one, so I think you know, I'll take their word for it. <laughs> I think he's number one in the world. Anyway, he's here enjoying the hospitality that Australia has to offer. Uh, so <laughs> in court right now, uh, he's been released, he's free, but we're not sure if he's going to be kicked out again. So today we're sitting down with an immigration professional. This is Anka Sahin, a uh, migration law professional who has been working in this space since what, 2005, I think your bio says? That's correct, 2005, yes. Can you tell us a bit about what you, um, well, let me tell the people what we're going to talk about and then you can introduce more of what you do. So we're going to talk about what exactly happened with Novak what happened in the court case because there's a lot of facts flying around uh, and then we're going to talk about the politics behind it like why did this happen and, and what might happen in the future and then we might even get time to talk about some of the others who are caught in the very same hotel as Novak all right so Anka I you were surprised to hear I was also a migration agent I was yeah I had no idea but um, yes. that was a pleasant surprise for me yes so you are in fact um, quite high up in the space you were the president of the MIA the Migration Institute of Australia our governing body shall we say uh, for the Victoria and Tasmania president of uh, the Migration Institute of Australia between 2015 and 2019 so I was elected twice by the members uh, mm -hmm. in 2015 and then again in 2017 and we have a two-term limit so I finished my two terms and um, I stepped aside okay so you are working literally what happening with Novak this is your everyday the rules the Migration Act how people can get in, exemptions, this is what you do, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And of course, um, a case like um, Novak Djokovic, um, jo Djokovic's case, which is so high profile, um, it's a rare one that captures the imagination of the public. And um, I guess you could say that that's a rare thing to happen in our, um, in our line of work. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I quit after a year. I practiced for a year and I couldn't stand it. But uh, look, I think um, this is a good opportunity to explain to people how this all works. I don't think I was surprised when I went through and I did my training, how this all works. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start with that? Let's start with Djokovic. What actually happened? Like, why was he ever denied in the first place? What happened at the airport? So there's obviously some history to it uh, before he even set foot in Australia. Yeah. Um, what we understand from the facts is um, he uh, obtained a subclass 408 visa, which is the appropriate visa for his situation. This There's, is sporting visa, isn't this, it? Um, this has a stream, which is for sporting activities. Yes. So it's a temporary activity visa that people can use for all sorts of different activities from uh, sports uh, to academia mm. um, to um, religious um, workers and things like that. So in this instance, it was sporting activities um, for him and he uh, had the right visa. Um, what we understand uh, pr that that's happened prior to his arrival was that there was co correspondence between Tennis Australia and not just him, but all the uh, the players that were due to arrive to compete in the Australian Open. And that advice um, also touched upon um, what exemptions uh, may be available for mm -hmm. players who um, may not necessarily meet the regular entry requirements for Australia, which has to do with being fully vaccinated, mm -hmm. um, however that is defined. So um, it seems that um, the uh, Tennis Australia, uh, on the basis of the advice from Atagi, um, put in place a procedure whereby players who were not vaccinated could apply for an exemption and this is not a travel exemption we're talking about. This is an exemption from the usual requirements of the Australian Open to compete in the competition. Mm 
And there were two separate panels, we understand from the information that's come out. There were two separate panels uh, that were charged with, and these uh, panels were made up of eminent epi epidemiologists and experts, um, public health experts uh, in their fields, who were charged with um, assessing the applications uh, from uh, players uh, for exemption and making a decision. And uh, to keep it... Um, as objective as possible, yeah. uh, we understand uh, that the names of players were removed when the um, exemption requests were being considered. But, by they, these but, two panels. but come on, okay, you got a 34 year old male, I mean, you know, roughly, right? That's right. I mean, it, it sounds like there were multiple such applications, and, mm -hmm. you know, this one happened to capture everyone's um, imagination and obviously blew up into what it ended up becoming. Yeah. Uh, but it, it wasn't a case of just two or three people where you could, oh, yeah, 34-year-old male oh, okay. uh, and, um, you know, potentially it could be either this one or that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there were, my understanding is there were uh, a few more than that. Yeah. So these are applications to Tennis Australia for an exemption from their internal policies, not from a government requirement? No, no, no this, this is not a government uh, exemption at all. So this was uh, an, a, a process that Tennis Australia put in place and the panels were independent from them, mm. uh, if I understand correctly. Um, so players uh, who were in the same situation as Novak Djokovic um, applied uh, and their um, applications were considered. Uh, in his instance, uh, in, in, in his case, he was given this exemption by Tennis Australia on the basis of um, a recent COVID-19 infection. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and it was his understanding that on the back of, and on the back of that, he, uh, he made an Australian travel declaration, an ATD, mm -hmm. which is um, uh, a... Um, uh, an online form that one completes, and then you get a, um, um, a an auto-generated confirmation saying that your um, uh, your application has been assessed and you qualify for quarantine-free travel to Australia. Yes. And this is something that um, uh, he mentioned multiple times to the delegate at the airport, and afterwards uh, it, it also appeared in the submissions of his lawyers. Yes. And he was relying on a, the uh, exemption that he received from Tennis Australia, yes. and also he declared the fact that he received an exemption from Tennis Australia in his travel declaration, and that travel declaration, the auto-generated um, reply came saying, uh, yes, you qualify for quarantine-free entry to Australia. And he, obviously, holding also a, a valid visa, uh, got on a plane and turned up in Australia. Um, we also understand prior to that happening, when he boarded the plane in Dubai, uh, his documents would have been checked. His visa would have been checked. Yeah. And his um, the exemption uh, that is normally required to enter Australia as an unvaccinated person... This is to get an exemption from a government rule that you're not allowed into Australia if you're that, unvaccinated. That, that's right. That's right. And that's so, not something that he applied for separately. He was under the impression that what he had was enough. Oh, I see uh, the confusion. Yeah. So he was under the impression that what he had from Tennis Australia, which uh, came yeah. from the, the two panels, that yeah. the independent panels that assessed those applications yeah. and, and said, yes, you are, um, we will exempt you, we agree to exempt you. He was under the impression that he was okay with that. And it seems yeah. that when he was boarding the flight yeah. in Dubai, uh, he submitted those documents, he showed those documents to yeah. uh, the check-in staff there, yeah. and they didn't have any issue allowing him to board on the basis of his travel declaration, his valid visa, and this exemption that he uh, he clearly had. Not but, a government exemption. But, but technically something. speaking, he didn't have the required government exemption. He didn't have the required government exemption. But he right. was never... Um, 
there was obviously a breakdown of yeah. communication at some yeah, sure. at some stage where he wasn't aware that that's an additional step that he had to complete. Sure, sure. And he arrived at the border on the basis of um, you know what he had, and he tried to explain himself to to the delegate. The delegate um, kept asking questions around his vaccination status. Um, he was given time to. Um, um, he was given time to. Um, he was initially um, interviewed. The interview can be a maximum of four hours. Uh, that, that's how long it can be. Um, at the end of which, he was presented with a notice of intention to consider cancellation of his visa. Uh, he asked for additional time so he could uh, he could contact um, Tennis Australia and yeah. his solicitors. Yeah. This is happening all around four a.m. in yeah. the morning. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. there's obviously everyone is sleeping. Yeah. Uh, and he explains that to the delegate. Yeah. Um, and um, and he's given additional time after some backwards and forwards. It appears um, he's given additional time to present uh, or perhaps get some additional advice from uh, those authorities, Tennis Australia and his solicitors, okay. and come back to them with um, more information, clarification, or documentation, whatever he could come up with. Um, and it looks like he was given time to do all of that until eight thirty a.m. Okay. And the rest of the time he was allowed to rest. Okay. Can we pause the chronology here for a second? So some side questions. So we're at 8.30 a.m. roughly. Did he, during that interview process, ever tell us whether he's vaccinated or not? Because I thought he was saying he's undisclosed. In the in the interview, I believe he did say. Um, to, today there was um, an article in um, uh, this New Morning Herald uh, where a um, part of the transcript of his interview um, was, um, was published. Yep. And um, and there it, it appears that there was a direct question about his vaccination status, and he did he did uh, reply to that and say he was not. Okay. And the other thing is, if he had have applied for a government exemption, what are the likelihoods that that would have been granted? Have you seen any of those? Um, look, uh, it's um, they're tough on it. They're tough on it. Um, the procedure exists, therefore. Um, uh, they do grant some from time to time. It's mostly based on compassionate reasons. Oh, not on uh, previous infection? Not on previous infection, no. That's a target advice, but the government, the federal government doesn't seem to, um, doesn't seem to have regard to that advice um, for granting these exemptions, or at least not that I'm aware of. So they purely allow it based on... Well, okay, hang on. Are you allowed to come into this country unvaccinated at all and just do quarantine? Yes. yes, that's yes. right. If you yes. if you obtain an exemption, you would be allowed to come in, but you would be subject to quarantine. But if you don't obtain an exemption, you're not allowed into this country at all. That's right. Okay, okay. That's, Thank you. That's the current situation. All right, so 8.30 a.m., what happens then? Well, actually, that's the interesting thing. They don't even wait until 8.30 a.m. Oh. So it, it, it looks like at some point the delegate gets into their, their head that let's finish this, you know, we can't just wait for you forever. And... Um, Sometime prior to 7.40, because the cancellation actually happens at 7.42 a.m. So sometime before 7.40, um, the delegate um, uh, engages Novak Djokovic in a further conversation, uh, whereby they pretty much make the point of, oh, well, what's the point of waiting? It's not like there's going to, they're going to be able to give you any further information or documentation that will change the outcome. So let's just get on with it. Um, 
and and you know he he protests against that and he says look this is this doesn't sound right you did yeah. give me time until 8:30 yeah um but um they um ultimately say we're um the um uh, we have uh, the authority to make a decision on the basis of the facts available to us at this time and at 7:42 p.m. his his visa is cancelled AM 7:42 AM 7:42 AM AM so he was given initially until 8:30 AM yeah. but at 7:42 AM without waiting for yeah. and that then becomes the basis of the court case of the court case okay not All just right. the only basis but one of sure. the most important well the one that worked ends up ends up being the one that worked ends up being the one that actually overturned the cancellation okay so this is on monday morning are we at this is happening no this is wednesday sorry, sorry. Uh, wednesday evening is when he arrives so we're talking about thursday, thursday morning. morning All right and then the court. When does he? When does court first hear the case? Uh, the next day, um, I think it was four p.m. Yeah, on the uh, Thursday. Um, on the f- Friday. Friday. Okay. Was th- no Thursday four p.m. Thursday. Sorry, it was Thursday yeah. four p.m. for an initial hearing. Yeah. And that's when. And there's an injunction. There's an injunction. The um, the lawyers, his lawyers, apply for an injunction. The yeah. injunction is to prevent the uh, the department from removing him. Yes. I know in the media the word deportation sometimes turns up, but that's um, actually incorrect. Deportation mm. is when a person um, is removed against their will, mm. um, uh, and um, and there's a there's a special deportation order that applies to that. And that wasn't that was never the case here, mm-hmm. um, and so. The lawyers apply for an injunction to stop the department from being able to remove him from Australia. That injunction is granted until um, Monday, Monday. Uh, 4 p.m., yeah, I believe, that's right. initially. And, um, and um, the hearing is uh, set down, the full hearing is set down for 10 a.m. on Monday. the Monday morning, which happened yesterday, as we, as we know. I, <laughs> it's so good to talk to someone who's... You know, I'm listening to your language and because I've studied the similar thing, I can hear the accuracy and the carefulness with which you you speak and, and you, you know the details. And all we're going off is a news.com.article, most people, and it's all over the shop. So mm-hmm. thank you for coming in and explaining it so clearly. Anyway, let's continue. So sure. Monday, he's... Uh, uh, he has a nice weekend in the hotel, I guess. <laughs> well, as nice as it could be. He did ask to be moved and they said no. And oh, okay. he also asked if his uh, chef can cook for him and they said no. Oh, so he had to eat whatever they serve. In the oh, yeah. Rest- oh, unbelievable. Yeah. And it's not very good food at all from what we hear. And he's a vegan as well, isn't he? So he needs a particular diet. Which is why he has his chef with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's an athlete, for goodness sake. All right. Mm-hmm. So Monday, court hearing. Everyone's watching. What happened? I didn't watch it. on. I didn't watch it. But I hear it was a lot of fireworks. Yes. Um, so uh, the um, the online feed uh, broke down a few times. Um, pure numbers, maybe. Uh, pure numbers. Uh, and I guess there were, there were a few different sort of... Um, uh, media that they were using, they were trying to use. Um, I think initially it was supposed to be um, Microsoft Teams, and then they moved to some other one that I haven't heard of before. Eventually, it went on to YouTube, and that's where it was. Uh, it was the best. Well um, done, YouTube. <laughs> Federal Circuit and Family Court of Australia actually have a YouTube channel. Okay. And um, and I, I was initially thinking, well, this is the the logical place to yeah. to, to broadcast yeah. it live yeah. uh, because everyone can watch and and you've already got the channel so you don't have to set anything up or or it and and that's you know they didn't put it there initially eventually after all the technical issues they had it ended up on the uh, 
uh, on the YouTube channel, and that's where it was quite stable and everyone yeah. could watch. Yeah. Um, but uh, the morning was mostly taken up by the arguments of um, his lawyers. Yes. So the government lawyers did not speak at all in the in the morning. Okay. Uh, they mostly listened. Uh, of course, the previous day, the um, on Saturday was when um, his lawyers filed their submissions with the court. Yes. And the following day, which is the Sunday, yeah. late Sunday, um, is when um, the the government uh, solicitors um, they they filed their uh, response yes. to to the claims being made by uh, his lawyers. Um, and it's interesting because um, in the migration agent community, in uh, in the immigration law uh, profession, we've got our closed uh, Facebook groups. Oh, uh, yes. There are a few of them, yes. uh, three principal ones. And um, discussion had been raging since yeah. uh, pretty much uh, Thursday morning about what was going on yeah. and how this was going to turn out and when, this, when the submissions came out. Yeah. The initial view of the submissions made by his solicitors mm. were very positive, I would okay. say. Um, the professional view of most migration agents um, uh, was that they were well made out and um, there was a good chance of success. Uh, so more people thought he had a uh, he had a chance to win yeah. than than otherwise. Yes. So right. that was interesting, okay. Okay. and um, and when the government uh, when the government's response came out on on Sunday, it uh, that that view didn't change uh, substantially. So the, the view was still that um, uh, that on the basis of the submissions made by his lawyers that there was a good chance that um, he could have his cancellation overturned. Okay. And okay, and then Monday it happened. No, yeah, today's Tuesday, isn't it? So we go to court, and what happened in court? So what happened was um, the uh, his lawyers took their time going into each of the grounds yes. that they had um, in their submissions, and they went into some detail um, as to and uh, and it, there was a lot of. Um, you could see that the judge had read the submissions in great detail. Yes. He was very much on top of uh, the arguments that were to be presented on the day. Yes. And, um, uh, and he was constantly engaging uh, with the lawyer. Most of the talking was done by Nicholas Wood. Um, Which is the lawyer for uh, Djokovic. Uh, for, for Djokovic. Yeah. So he did most of the talking, almost all of the talking, we could say. Yes. Um, and there was a lot of engagement between him and um, and Judge Anthony Kelly mm. um, with regard to the finer details of what was in their submissions. Yes. Um, and you, if you've had a look at the submissions, you would uh, be p potentially be aware that there were three grounds that they were going off I of. I haven't read it. Yeah. yeah. So the first ground was to do with the Atagi advice, um, that the Atagi advice um, had that provision which he was relying on for his exemption which he obtained through Tennis Australia. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, the basis, um, the, the recent exemption, yes. uh, the recent infection yes. exemption. Yeah, that which, was, um, which he had in December. Yeah, which he, he had in December. Uh, and um, so the, um, the, the, the argument was that uh, this seems to be um, this seems to be recognised in the Atagi guidelines. Mm. Um, the government's website um, makes reference to Atagi guidelines, not mm. not specifically to this exemption as such, but to the guidelines. Mm. And a, a reasonable person can then, and particularly on the back of um, an exemption document produced by Tennis Australia, which is a peak Australian body as well, um, a reasonable person can uh, form the view that um, you know 
that, that they meet the requirements for entry to Australia on the mm. basis mm. of um, of that ground. Um, the second ground, then they they had um, uh, that that was subdivided into mm. more technical A, B, and C and sure. D. Uh, the second ground was uh, that um, um, well, they were um, what what they were saying in their submission was that uh, the delegate that he was dealing with at yes. the airport with regard to you know his his um, entry to Australia and his visa uh, failed to consider the information that he had with him um, in making the decision yeah. so they're saying that you know this is a person who's arrived with an exemption document yeah. with a travel declaration that says he qualifies for uh, quarantine free entry to Australia with a valid visa that he's he's obtained he hasn't made any false declarations because yes. initially when uh, this whole thing blew up um, one of the things that uh, those of us in the migration community thought might have happened is perhaps there was um, some sort of false or misleading information provided by the applicant, by Novak Djokovic, maybe uh, in his application, his visa application versus what he said at the airport or what he put in his travel declaration or what he put in his arrival card. But was there? No, there so wasn't. So it's all consistent? No, no there wasn't. Okay. So we, we suspected that that might be the case, oh. but it later turned out that there was no, no such thing at okay. all there was no false information provided quite the um, quite the contrary as the um, as the judge on the day conceded he had done everything he could mm. um, and in Nicholas Wood's words his level best mm. to comply mm. and to produce as much documentation as possible to in support of his case mm. prior to his arrival and also at the airport he had um, printouts of some of the documentation, uh, mm. I understand not all, mm. um, and at some point he's, they, he was asked to turn off his phone so he wasn't mm. able to access some of the documentation that he might have had in his emails and yeah. on his phone and, and things like that. So the second ground uh, talked about um, the failure of the, um, uh, the failure of uh, the delegate of the minister uh, in taking into consideration what he came uh, with, uh, yeah. what Novak Djokovic came with in terms of documentation and information that he had with him, yeah. and also forming the view that um, uh, uh, that somehow uh, he formed the view that there were no extenuating circumstances and that the, ex the absence of extenuating circumstances was um, a, a factor in favour of visa cancellation. Right. And the, the lawyers uh, said that that's illogical. Yes. That's illogical because the absence of something should not be um, a factor in favour of visa cancellation. At most, it should be a neutral factor. Right. There's no extenuating circumstances, so it doesn't affect way, things yeah. one way or another. Okay. That's how it should have been um, uh, interpreted by the delegate, but yeah. the delegate somehow interpreted it um, in a different way, and um, the lawyers made the point that that was illogical and um, potentially amounting to a jurisdictional error. Okay. So that was the second, second ground. So two out of three grounds. This is important because... Um, Later on, we're going to talk about, for the people to know, whether whether precedents have been set and, and this mm. kind of thing. So it's important to know which ground upon which he won this case. So there's one more ground, the third ground, which he won on. That's right. What is the third ground? So the third ground was uh, procedural fairness. Uh, and this, mm. we touched upon it just before, didn't we? Um, he asked for more time. Um, he was interviewed for um, the maximum amount of time that's available to yes. the delegate. Yes. After which he was presented with the notice of intention to consider cancellation of his visa. He, um, um, there's no statutory time limit to, to respond to that. 
so that's up to the delegates' uh, discretion. Um, but we're talking we're talking for four thirty a.m. in the morning. Yes. It's not like he's able to. You know, he's probably very tired. He hasn't slept. He's been up since uh, midnight when he arrived in Australia, or just before midnight. Uh, he's very tired. Um, he, they seem to be asking for more information and documentation, which he doesn't have access to right there and then. And um, he's not able to access anyone at Tennis Australia or his solicitors to get clarity or further advice and information on how he should respond to the notice of intention to consider cancellation so, of his so, visa. So normally, there's a how long of a gap is there between the notice of intention to cancel and the actual cancellation? Would it be a day or an hour or a week? Well, in this instance, there was... Th- about nothing. three and a half hours, hours which yeah. is nothing. But it should have been a couple of days? No, no, not necessarily, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's actually no statutory time frame yes, within which yes. they, 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 they don't actually have to give him any sort of okay. time. So they this is what they're arguing, it's not reasonable. It's 4 a.m. Not just that. Uh, it's, not th- it's not just that it's unreasonable. It's the fact that he asked for more time and they initially agreed yeah. to giving him more time until 8.30 a.m. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And they then went back and reneged on that um, and ca- ended up cancelling his visa 7:42. at 7.42 a.m. <laughs> and this is a pretty obvious mistake. And you yeah. would think, you know, a delegate of the minister... Mm who is the responsible person at the airport um, Mm. uh, looking at people's documentation for entry to Australia should know not to do something like that. Mm. I mean, once you've you've agreed to A30, Mm. you would at least, you know, Mm. keep to that, keep, you, to to your word, um, and and actually wait until eight thirty before you make any sort of decision. Why do you think they did this? I know we're speculating now, but why do they cut? It's only forty five minutes or whatever. Why did they do that? Look, there's two possibilities. One is that the uh, the delegate genuinely believed that there was nothing he could. No point uh, in waiting. No point in waiting. There's nothing he could produce, um, obtain, or present that would change the um, the outcome. And it was the end of his shift. Uh, <laughs> Did you see that? That was it. I didn't know that. No. I read a thing that, where he said, "My shift is ending soon." Oh, that's right. Okay, all right. That, no, I didn't know. It might that. explain a little bit. That yeah. explains some something, yeah. although highly irresponsible. Surely irresponsible. you can you can give of instructions course. to the next person of that's course. taking over from you. Yeah. So no, that's that's not really. But um, so that's one one reason. The yeah. other um, one pos- pos- potential uh, sort of answer to that, and and the second is um, is perhaps they. Um, Perhaps they wanted to cancel so that he would have access to uh, a judicial uh, pathway to to challenge. Perhaps that was always the intention. I mean, that's obviously we'll never know. Mm. But what we do know, because if you remember the case of the the Czech tennis player, Renata Rachua. Who is also removed, left already. That's right. She's already left and she left, um, uh, you know, she left uh, uh, out of her own volition. Mm. Um, the difference with her was because she was immigration cleared, her visa was cancelled um, on after having been immigration cleared. Mm. So they have to present her with um, a time frame to respond to to that. And, and if she wanted to challenge it, it's not through the courts. She would have to challenge it through the administrative affairs. Um, uh, the tribunal. Uh, the, uh, the AIT Administrative Affairs Tribunal. Yeah. Um, and... And that's a process that could take a long time. So she must have received advice to the effect that it's pointless because it's never going to happen in time. No, but she could still play whilst pending. No, no, she would be liable for detention. Oh, detention. She would be liable for detention because her visa has been cancelled. So she may have been told, possibly 
maybe professionally yeah. or informally yeah. by the government that you know your options are limited in this situation and so her situation was quite different to Novak's situation. He was already in detention. He, well he got cancelled before he was immigration yeah. cleared yeah. which is why he had the um, uh, the um, the pathway for a judicial challenge yeah. to his situation. Yeah. So the fact that they cancelled right the fact that he was cancelled prior to yeah. uh, being immigration cleared yeah. gave him the uh, the the possibility to seek a challenge and to uh, seek for his cancellation to be overturned through a judicial process through the uh, the, uh, the circuit, federal circuit court much faster, faster of yeah, course yeah, in this yeah, case and yeah. and his lawyers asked for it to be to yeah. be looked at uh, with urgency yeah. given the the impending start of the competition couldn't they do the AAT have an urgent next day hearing um, it's it, it doesn't, they could, but it doesn't often happen. Oh, so it's okay. not something that the AAT yeah. is prepared to do. And um, yeah, they just don't have, the, they just don't have the same sort of, um, I guess, resources available. So the uh, fit, so uh, Justice Wood, is it? Yeah, Justice Wood. Uh, Kelly. No, sorry, Justice Kelly. Justice Kelly um, rules in the end on the third ground. On the third ground. What power does he have? What is he, what was his ruling? So he ruled that the, that the cancellation be quashed. And that um, that Novak Djokovic be released um, from uh, detention uh, within immediately 30, um, within thirty minutes. Within right? thirty minutes, because of the decision being because the, the there was an error because the because because he was denied procedural fairness. Right. He had been given until eight thirty a.m. to to provide additional information. Yet a decision was made to cancel his visa at seven forty two a.m. So now Djokovic is free. However, there remains in the Migration Act, thanks to what was only recently, last 10 years or so, we gave ministers the discretion to just cancel visas, right? Do you remember oh, that when that came oh, in? Oh, I don't remember the exact timing of it, but I know that... It wasn't in 1958. No, no, it, was, it, was, it certainly wasn't. Last no, no. 20 years. I mean, the Migration Act has been, uh, of course, uh, amended multiple times um, mutated, since, yeah. since that time and mutated into uh, the monstrosity that it is now. Uh, but yes, the, the minister um, has pretty much unfettered power to, to cancel any visa that he or she uh, deems uh, uh, is... Um, uh, has met the, the relevant threshold, which again is a very, very subjective test, isn't it? It's all in his yeah. mind, isn't oh, it? Completely, yeah. his or her mind. This is not the character test? This is not the character this test. This is there's just a, there's discretion, yeah. Because some of the character cancellations are mandatory. Yeah, okay. So there's okay. there's no discretion when it comes to those things. But um, but other um, other cancellations could, could be for all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, the original cancellation, as we know, was yeah. because he presented a, a risk to to uh, yeah. public health and good order of the community and things like that. So he could um, he could just, uh, the minister in this case, um, Alex, Alex Hawke, Hawk, yeah. um, the Minister of Immigration, could um, uh, basically say, yep, yeah, okay, I've, um, I've had regard to the, the court outcome, but he's not bound by it. Yes. And uh, I'm exercising my uh, personal power under Section 133C of the Act to um, to cancel the visa again. And he could use the same grounds to, for, to cancel. But then there's no review for that, right? There's no review for that. So the, the news is saying that he, they're considering whether they're going to do this or not. Why on earth? I guess we're heading towards the political What, what there isn't is um, there is... When you say there's no reviews, there's no obligation to give notice and there's no obligation to consider natural justice, <laughs> uh, but it could still be challenged um, you know, judicially. From so, overseas? No, no, he would, he, he would uh, go into if, detention. If he were yeah. to be cancelled again, he would yeah. be taken into detention again yeah. and, and uh, a, a, a fresh challenge could be launched 
at, um, oh, okay. at the Federal Circuit Court in a similar way. But probably by that stage, uh, it may be too late for him to be included in the draw to compete in, um, in the Australian Open and so on. So the second cancellation may have potentially proven fatal to his prospects of being able to play. Which is still a live option. Why on earth would they do that? This is nuts. It is. Uh, it is nuts. Um, but um, uh, the minister is, uh, does have the power. And um, and look, ultimately, um, this is a power that is most commonly exercised in character cases. Yes. Um, uh, we've had a series of ministers, um, uh, especially recently, who have felt very strongly about character cancellations, where if somebody has a visa that's cancelled on the basis of um, on the basis of character issues, mm. and they challenge it and mm. they won. Yes, this power then gives the the uh, uh, the, the minister uh, the power to say, okay, well, I um, yes, you've won at um, at courts, but I still consider you to be a a risk um, to the Australian community. Therefore, I'm cancelling your visa again, and they're immediately taken back into detention. For the the cycle starts again. <laughs> the rationale behind this, of course, is that if the if they get off on a technicality, that the minister who is popularly elected and so on represents the people, supposedly, is supposed to have the power to do the people's will. In the end of the day, even if he wins a technical legal battle, we don't want this risk to our community. The minister gets rid of him. You could say that. This is the Ray Hadley line. You could say that, and and as I said, it's most commonly used for character cases where the government can appeal to. Uh, uh, I don't know, a, an argument f uh, from, from a morality point of view and, and things like that. Whereas in this case, if that power to be exercised, mm. um, and there was obviously speculation last night mm. uh, on social media mm. and, um, and elsewhere uh, as to whether the minister may be considering to exercise those powers. And there was, again, some uh, incorrect information in the media that he only had four hours to do no. so. Yeah. That information, I think, I'm not really sure what's the where that information stemmed from, but the four hours seems to have something to do I with I thought they were talking about the injunction, weren't they? And they were mixing things up. They were mixing things up. Some of some people may have been talking about the injunction because the injunction that um, was normally until four yeah, uh, extended was extended to eight, to eight by right. the judge. Yes. But of course, a decision was made prior, so he yes. was released. Yes. So that was no longer really even valid. Yeah, it's just confusing. Um, and then I think some people were also hearing from others that uh, you know when you're at the airport and, uh, and being interviewed, you got four uh, you know four hours maximum. So right. maybe that's what okay. they they had in mind as well. So for whatever. It was um, that was incorrect information. Um, Alex Hawke can do it any time now. At any time, he has yeah. he has, as I said, unfettered power to consider uh, to 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 cancel a visa based on his personal powers. And, until he has permanent residency, would be the so he could he could cancel any visa. He could oh, cancel yes, a, per a permanent visa can be cancelled too as well. Okay, all, until they cancelled all the time until the, citizenship. He has that power then. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, let's go to the politics of this because you, you mentioned a bit earlier about maybe the government wanted it to go through the courts because Djokovic was going to come in. He did everything in his power, as the judge said. What else was he going to do? He did everything to get in. Um, the government could have just then let him in. But you said to me before we started filming that may, may not have been what the government wanted to do. They may have been fearful of a public backlash. So they wanted to shift responsibilities to the courts. Can you explain that? I think there was um, there was a feeling uh, in some quarters within the government uh, that um, 
allowing him, allowing him to enter on the basis of the exemption that he had or he had obtained through Tennis Australia may lead to a public uh, backlash. And um, it could be that they saw they letting him come to Australia and cancelling his visa before his immigration cleared, they may have seen that as a way to um, uh, put off the problem for the time being yeah. and and allow him access to that judicial review. And if, if it got up through the, the courts, as in this case it did, uh, they could then turn around and say, oh, well, you know, we, we did what we could. We're still tough on borders. We're still tough on... Um, uh, you know, implementing the rules that we've put in place. Do you think that was the fear? They need to look tough on borders. There's every government in Australia wants to look tough on borders yeah. um, because they are under the impression that somehow that um, uh, translates into votes. Yes. I don't know if that's always true. Yeah. And I think in this instance, the way things turned out uh, when Djokovic was allowed to have the judicial challenge option available yes. to him. And that option was only available to him, as we've said, yes. because he was cancelled, his yes. visa was cancelled prior to he, him being immigration cleared. Yes. Um, it seems that as the case went on, as, the, as things progressed, the public outrage that the government thought that would, would eventuate actually dissipated. And, um, and in fact, we could say that it actually switched to towards, a reaction towards um, to uh, support a, against, against the government and possibly more in support of Novak. But I hope so. But wasn't there a big outcry in Novak? Is, what did um, Lisa Wilkinson say? Uh, enemy, Australia's enemy number one. I mean, what an what an exaggeration, right? I mean, but I I I don't know if I'm mistaken here, but I seem to be getting the feeling from mainstream media. I don't know if they're telling the truth or not, but that most Australians are ticked off uh, because rules are rules, and he didn't have the government exemption, and so if we have to suffer under whatever rule, he should as well. Look, there is no doubt that there was a level of outrage from the public when um, this is. If we go back to the beginning of the week, he hasn't even arrived in Australia, he hasn't even got on a flight yet. And news broke out uh, in the media, I think it was Monday or possibly sun late Sunday or on Monday, that he had obtained a um, uh, an exemption. No mm. one knew what, what sort of exemption. Mm. And suddenly there was this outcry. Now, um, the government may have, on the basis of that outcry, the go government might have seen it as an opportunity to... Um, uh, to boost their standing in the eyes of the Australian people by tough, by looking tough, uh, mm -hmm. by um, pretending to sort of care about borders and um, and border security and things like that. But in my personal view, and I have um, said elsewhere as well, um, the government may have miscalculated. They may have thought that that initial public outcry was directed against this one individual and that everyone was in favour of the rules being applied and, and no exemption to be given to, to this one person. Um, but there's a whole background to it. There's a whole background to it. As we know, Australians, uh, citizens and permanent residents who are unvaccinated um, still require permission to leave the country what can okay what so just pause really you cannot leave the country 
Unless you're fully vaccinated. Well, I thought it was just an airline mandate. So you've got to choose an airline that'll have you. No, 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 no. Government no. won't. No. ABF are doing an exemption to leave things That's still. So they, what, why? Well, well, as you know, until a couple of months ago, all of us were subject to, uh, to obtaining a permission before we could leave the country. So it, so it was the whole of the oh, population. So vaccinated people don't need permission to leave. Yes. So what they've oh, done okay, is okay. They've, they've got rid of the requirement for uh, vaccinated individuals to uh, require permission to leave Australia. You can't rat test your way out, PCR test your way out? No. Why would they lock people in? Well, why did they lock all of us in between March 2020 and <laughs> a couple of months ago? I mean, that was, that was ridiculous enough. <laughs> Touche. But you, you allow people in unvaccinated, do quarantine, whatever. But you don't allow people to flee? Subject, to, subject to permission again. Yeah. Uh, of course, as we said before, um, unvaccinated yeah. non-citizens yeah. would require permission to come in. And the yeah. threshold appears to be high. Okay. There aren't sure. too many such exemptions being granted. I see. It has to be on compassionate grounds and so on. Um, once an Australian citizen or permanent resident leaves, and as I said, if they're unvaccinated, they're subject to uh, the permission process, the yeah. permit process, yeah. which was in place for all of us yes. uh, up until very recently, yeah. but now only applies to unvaccinated individuals. Yeah. So you can still get a permit then as an unvaccinated individual to yes. Australia. Yes, you just and play they, the seem game. To be, they seem to be uh, more lenient on that, a lot more lenient on letting Australians leave particularly for the longer term. The more than two-month thing, three-month thing, that uh, category. Yeah, although, I mean, that's not a hard and fast rule. But yeah. um, if people are leaving for the long term, they are, seem to be more open to allowing Australians, uh, unvaccinated Australians, to leave than they are to allowing unvaccinated non-citizens to come in on valid visas, okay. right? They seem yeah. to be a lot more open, which makes sense in a way. Of course, of course. Uh, still not, not, not good that uh, some part of the population has to go through that, that rigmarole just to be able to leave their own country. But there's no logic. Were you protecting the USA from COVID? Come on. <laughs> oh. Well, and also, when you think about it, um, quarantine requirements still apply when they return. Yes. So, supposedly, that's protection enough for Australia. So, exactly who is being protected and what, what is the intention there? Who votes, knows? votes. All right. So, assuming okay. there are votes in that, yes. So, sorry, I paused you. I can't remember where we were going. We were we were talking about the politics of it, and I said, "Hang on, do we need exemptions?" So, uh, we were t what we were talking about there was: did the government somehow miscalculate oh, yes. the, the political capital that may have been in this? Yes. Uh, you know, did they see it as an opportunity? And some of this is obviously speculation, but did they see it as an opportunity to look tough and somehow score? Uh, points with the Australian public uh, by appearing um, to take a to take a hard line um, with regard to this one individual, and of course, all the while there were reports of other individuals getting in with similar exemptions, and yeah. uh, and and no big public outcry had yes. happened with those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they went and cancelled two other visas just just to make it look like they were doing something. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, you, this is not come on. You've been working this for forever, as we said. They, they do this kind of thing long before this, right? I feel like when I was going through in 2012, it was like this. Well, it's never as high profile, is it? No, yeah. but it's still behind the scenes. The government's posturing and, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, they, if they if they feel they, they could be votes in it, they will use it, you know, to, to their advantage as much as, 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 as much as they can. I mean, do you remember when they ch keep changing the name from DAC to DIBP to D Border Protection? They just want to be um, like, we're tough. And then, and then Home Affairs. Finally. Home Affairs, yeah. Now. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Sure. And, and each of, obviously, each acronym came with, uh, with its own expenditure and all the templates have to be changed. The website yeah. has to be yeah. revamped and uh, uh, all the forms, every single form that they have, it's hundreds of forms have to be changed. Oh, it's just, just an insane 
uh, expenditure for, for really no, no reason. Well, to be fair, the uh, immigration portfolio is a lot of posturing, isn't it? If you consider boat arrivals and that kind of thing, that's important, how we appear to the world. Even now, look how we appear to the world. Are we open and welcoming? No, no, it's, it, it hasn't. It, and that's, that was the point I was making before. It ended up, um, it ended up having the opposite uh, effect um, from what the government was hoping. And they were hoping to, you know, to get those, um, uh, those points with uh, the public and, and perhaps look like, uh, you know, they were, they were tough and so on. But actually, as the process went on and as uh, information on how he was treated at the, at the border, and um, uh, and and the denial of procedure fairness that that made mm. its way into the submission and ultimately formed the basis of the the overturning of the cancellation uh, came um, became known. Um, uh, I think public opinion shifted and um, and it it made us that, look even worse. Do you think they're behind Novak now, the the majority or at least the plurality? Um, who knows? It's 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 very hard to make that judgment just looking at you know social media because the social media Some attracts group. a certain kind yeah. of person you okay. know who's feeling strongly about one way or another. But um, what I what I do see very clearly uh, from um, uh, the way social media sort of uh, and the opinion shifted over the last sort of five days when this mm. whole thing played out is um, I think more people ended up saying, yes, this is the right decision. And that, that's not something that people would have, um, would have predicted would mm -hmm. happen early in the piece. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is quite easy to see. Okay. I'm just horrified that during the whole saga, it hasn't been, yeah, these rules are stupid, let him in. It's been, well, if I'm in chains, you should be too. I don't like that attitude. No, there is... Uh, I agree that there is a certain... Um, portion of the population that, that feels that way. I don't know if that's majority opinion, though. Yes, that, that opinion does exist, though. It is out there. I'm glad if it's not majority. All right, let's talk about also the third, the fact, the precedent argument. Hmm. So the, the third, when the feed went down and they came back, you said this on LinkedIn. We'll put links below for people to follow you on LinkedIn. You're a good follow. You said that there was some, potentially some kind of a deal done. Look, it's possible because when the link disappeared, uh, so... The, um, the hearing was supposed to uh, resume at 3.15pm um, um, in the afternoon. Mm. Um, it was then pushed back to 3.45pm uh, in the afternoon. And when they came back, um, we were under the impression that the government solicitor, Christopher Tran, was going to take uh, was going to um, uh, have the floor and speak for about an hour mm. uh, in favour of their arguments, which they had already put in writing the day before on Sunday, and and we were all familiar with those uh, those arguments. Uh, they didn't seem very strong. Mm. <laughs> uh, they didn't seem very strong, and and actually quite interesting and ironically, one of the arguments uh, they said, uh, particularly in relation to that ground three, which ended up uh, not getting up mm. um, for the government, it ended up getting up for Novak. Mm. Um, they said we can't we can't just keep giving more time to someone who asks for it. Firstly, there's no there's no statutory time frame. We would, we're not we're not obliged to give them any any sort of time. And secondly, um, you know they can effectively they use the word filibuster. They could they could filibuster the process right. by by asking for more time and right. more time and more time. So we were unable to make a um, a cancellation decision, sure. and that's unacceptable. That sure. was their argument. Yeah. Uh, but that argument was always destined to fail, yes. given that he was promised uh, time yes. until 8.30 and he wasn't, um, and they reneged on that. Yeah. Um, and what what then, uh, the irony, I'll come to the irony side of it. The irony side of it is that um, 
first they asked for more time. Yes. They tried to delay the the hearing. Yes. The uh, the court said no. Yes. And then they um, they asked for more time uh, to to respond. Uh, they were given more time, which is why the the start date uh, the the restart of the the hearing was pushed to three fifteen initially, and then to three forty five. Yeah. And when they finally came back, Christopher Tran said, "I'm still not ready. I need more time." Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> and then immediately there was um, it was adjourned again. So who's doing the filibustering then? The government. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite interesting. Um, and then and then the feed went down. So they adjourned. They formally adjourned. Mm. The feed uh, went dead, and um, and they came back two two and a half hours later, uh, with the judge reading out a text that they had all agreed on. So so they have been meeting in that break during the adjournment. That's right. In the chambers, yeah. That's right. And they um, obviously hammered out a deal, that, um, I mean, by that stage, it was probably fairly obvious uh, that uh, Novak's case, um, well, he, he was going to win and he was his visa was going to be reinstated, the cancellation yes. was going to be overturned. Yes. I think it was pretty obvious by that stage. Yes. The only um, remaining question was under what grounds yes. and on what basis yes. was that going to happen? Yes. And it could be that during that time when we didn't have access, the public didn't have access to the feed, it could be that during that time they there may have been some sort of negotiation as to um, what the government was prepared to accept with regard to the the grounds for the the overturning or the quashing of the um, the visa cancellation decision, and they may have agreed that you know the ground the third ground which is the most obvious technical ground but it's a technical ground isn't it you know he was promised until eight thirty and he was cancelled at seven forty two a.m. So it's very specific. Uh, very specific to yeah. one individual. It yeah. can't apply to anybody else yeah. uh, unless they were to make the same mistake again, yes. of course. Which, which they won't. Which which why why they well, why would they right? So so in terms of precedence and all of that, this is the minimum damage to the government. It that would, ground. It would appear so. Had it had it got up on the first ground, um, there could have been all sorts of implications flowing Atagi, on from yeah. that uh, with regard to the Atagi. Uh, advice with regard to recent infection, uh, um, a recent COVID-19 infection in the last three, uh, six months. Uh, there could have been implications with regard to, well, other people wanting to come in, uh, w- with regard to people applying for that travel exemption to yes. come in on um, compassionate grounds. There may have been implications for Australian citizens uh, who are unvaccinated wanting to leave the country. So there could have been all sorts of very wide-ranging implications, and they may have reached a deal to... Uh, prevent that from happening, at least for the time being. But um, maybe we haven't seen the end of it yet. What this do you could... mean? Not in this case. This case is not in, not in this case. Yeah. But uh, but perhaps um, this uh, the way this has played out and the the way the grounds were set set out by his lawyers may give other people ideas for similar challenges in the, in the future. So why why would the government get what they want? Why would Novak give into a deal like that? He, he was going to win. Or is he, he's just not interested whether he wins on ground one, two, or three. He just no, exactly. He just wants to play. So for him, it doesn't. doesn't it matter. doesn't really matter. Okay. And um, and I suppose in uh, in situations like that where there's um, uh, some horse trading happening, um, everyone wants um, basically an outcome, and um, everyone wants an outcome that both sides can live with for that uh, in that particular point in time. Yeah. Okay. Which is probably what's um, what what um, what was agreed. Okay. We're talking about a very famous person who um, was able to be heard within a few days. But someone who I've invited on this show and waiting to hear back from, Mehdi Ali, has been waiting for nine years, from 15 years of age to 24 years of age. He's been 
banging around our different detention centers, and he's currently mm. in the same hotel as Novak was That's right, man. upstairs above him. Mm. What is going on with this joint, Australia? We're doing this all the time. Oh yes, no, it's um, it it um, it goes back many years. So um, my understanding um, of um, the other people who are in the same hotel uh, and. Uh, there were a few, the, yeah. the media was reporting, uh, I think there was a number, 30, 36, mm -hmm. it was, um, uh, was mentioned at some point. Wow. Um, my understanding is uh, the other people who are in that, uh, in that hotel are all um, people who have, been, um, who have arrived uh, um, to Australia as boat arrivals. Um, our legislation um, doesn't allow for boat arrivals to be re resettled in Australia. In fact, they're not even allowed to come to Australia under normal circumstances, they uh, would have been then sent to offshore detention in Nauru um, uh, or Manus yeah. or Christmas Island. Mm -hmm. And they may, um, so uh, there was at one point the possibility of medical evacuation um, for emergencies. Yeah. And a number of people made use of that to, um, to, to ask to be evacuated to the mainland, to Australia, for all sorts of medical reasons, uh, including mental health um, and, and so on. So uh, my understanding is uh, those people are um, arrivals from uh, the offshore detention centres yeah. um, and they are therefore in indefinite detention. They, they can't be allowed out into Australia. Legally, they can't be They allowed. can't be. And they're not allowed to apply for any visa. There's a, oh, really? there's a ban on the on them being able to apply for a visa. This the, is all coming under, under ScoMo as the Foreign Affairs Minister back in the day? Um, the boat, because he was getting tough on boats. Yes, I mean, he was he was Treasurer and then he was Immigration Minister. He yeah. was Immigration Minister, then became yeah. Treasurer and Peter yeah. Dutton took over the Immigration Portfolio yeah. and so on and so forth. But they, um, it up. Uh, they, they certainly have. Um, and um, they, uh, that's when they basically said, you know, if you arrive on a boat, you'll never be resettled in Australia. And I they had all that. these yeah. uh, never, horrible, ever, ever. horrible uh, videos that, uh, that were uh, put out and, and so on. So, um, yes, there is a ban on them being able to apply for any sort of visa. Which um, means he can't get a bridging. He can't. No, can't, no, they nothing, can't. They nothing. can't get a bridging. They can't be allowed out. They, they, they're in indefinite in detention. Yeah, so they okay. um, haven't done anything wrong. Uh, but I mean, this. Uh, I mean, some may, people would argue that they have done something wrong, but. I'd well, uh, we know that seeking asylum is not against the law in any country in the world. I'm just saying there's part, parts of more of the right wing who do say that. But he is actually, so this one guy, Mehdi Ali, has been found to be a genuine refugee. Hmm. And the majority have been, actually. And that's always been the case. The, the majority of the boat arrivals, um, particularly uh, those from certain backgrounds, certain um, you know religious and ethnic backgrounds, um, have always had a good claim to being genuine refugees. Um but that doesn't seem to sway the government in any sort of doesn't way. Doesn't matter. Still They're indefinite detention. Still indefinite detention. The the only way these people can get out is if another country right. were to accept them. New Zealand resettlement swap deal or USA in this case. Well, New Zealand, uh, the the government never accepted the oh, the, the deal it. with New Zealand. Oh, okay. um, so they right. they have a deal in place with with um, the United States, but um, a very small number of people are taken under that, and um, and the processing is um, is horrendously long. So well, clearly. So what do we do? We just put them in a cage like an animal and let them rot they can choose to go back to oh they can well they can choose to go back to their own countries they can they can choose to do that if they feel that there's no more safe. there's no yeah there's no safety issue for them for many of them there will be um they could also choose to go back to um uh, the um uh, the place where they were initially 
um, detained. Minus uh, Christmas. That's right. Yeah. And and um, and um, um, they could be in community detention there, which means, you know, free. On the, oh, on living the with the people yeah. in Nauru or whatever. That's, that's correct, yes. But so clearly if someone doesn't take those options, then they, by their actions, are admitting that they would prefer to be in a hotel for nine years in Melbourne than well, in the community in Nauru or back in Iran. Yeah, they seem to be, they seem to prefer that to... Not, not, that, not that it's okay, but clearly that's their preference. Mm. Okay, and then now, yeah, as I said, what, they're just rotting there forever. I mean, this kid, he's 15. Well, he was 15 when he arrived. I know, I know, he's yeah. 24 now. He's 24 now, yeah. You know, I, I'm trying to get an interview with him, and David Limbrick is a, um, a politician here, and he's horrified by the whole situation. Mm. And he says something quite profound to me. He said, I don't care how bad this kid is. I don't care what his views are. If he's bad now, we made him bad. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Mm. Whenever a lot of, well, I'm not saying he's bad, but people are saying, look, we don't want him in our community or whatever. Some of the more xenophobic elephants, elements of our community might say that. But we have created this, we have wrecked this kid's life, mm. in my Definitely. opinion. And not, not just him. Yeah, many he's many more like him. Yeah, yeah. Many more stuck like for him. three years, five years. And, you know, you could, um, perhaps this whole, um, uh, this whole case uh, that captured the, the imagination of the public and that generated a lot of strong emotions with regard to um, how Australia handled um, this one uh, very famous individual's entry to the country mm. um, and, and the fact that he was detained in the same hotel mm. uh, for a brief moment, uh, a light shone on the, mm. uh, on the plight of the, the refugees there who um, you know, have been uh, in many cases stuck for many years uh, with, with no obvious options available to them. And, um, and you know, we can only hope that, um, that perhaps uh, that, that attention uh, may continue and lead to some sort of real action, but I'm not. I'm not um, holding my breath on that. Do you do your work with uh, visas and migration? What type of uh, migrants do you deal with? Um, I deal mostly with economic migrants, um, employer sponsorship, um, skilled migration, okay. um, and um, and I do I do you know partners, parents, resident return visas, citizenship, okay. all sorts of different applications. Yeah. So the way that they're treated compared to um, humanitarian visas, I imagine there's not really many options at all for these humanitarian. No, it's a, it's a very different kettle of fish, which is why uh, you'll find that in the immigration law profession. Um, people who tend to specialize in the um, in the humanitarian law side of things yeah. um, tend to work almost exclusively in that right, area because right. it's it's such a uh, uh, such a, a niche area of of immigration law and such a difficult area of immigration law I would never dream of doing uh, an application myself uh, simply because I wouldn't want to um, I wouldn't want uh, anyone to, to be disadvantaged by my lack of uh, specialization oh, and knowledge see, in that um, in that front so um, there, there are a lot of people a lot better placed than uh, than I am to to do those sorts of applications sure okay mm. well uh, I'm hoping that today people hearing all the technical side of things that we've gone into around Djokovic's case they can get an understanding of how our migration system works and, and what some of these people might be facing. But I am also fascinated that you, I'm a half Maori. I can't believe I you uh, speak uh, our language. Um, in fact, you speak a billion languages. I, well, You're the first polyglot I've ever met. Yeah, I don't know if I would say I would speak. Uh, Any I, more than two is you. 
crazy. Okay. And normally, I think you have to speak four or five to be considered a polyglot. How, but, many, um, how many do you speak? Um, well, it's it's interesting because languages are, are a funny thing. Um, so you can um, you you can speak a language, you can understand a language, yeah. or you can read read a language. They're all d- very different things, um, yeah. and and also one's skills may, you know get better or worse sure. as, as time goes on so you know I've, I've, um, I, I guess I you know I speak for you know I, I speak or understand five or six different languages but um, my you know my um, uh, proficiency in each one will <laughs> obviously vary are they all similar what other languages um, many of them are um, so I got an understanding of um, the Latin languages so French Italian Spanish uh, a little bit of Portuguese um, so they, these are all similar fairly base. related mm. um, uh, with with regard to Māori, I um, I learnt um, uh, well. I did a couple of years of study in in Māori um, when I was in um, New Zealand. Um, so that's quite a different language. That's obviously a Polynesian language and uh, and very different. But um, uh, but I I enjoyed that a lot, and um, I found it to be fairly logical and um, mm. and um, and easy to 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 pick up if one uh, turns my, one's mind to it. Um, so no Asian languages or anything? Uh, no Asian languages, but um, my native language is Turkish, um, which is, again, uh, very different from the other languages that I speak and mm. from English and from, from the Latin languages and so on. And I, um, I also um, understand, um, read and understand Azerbaijani, which is uh, related to Turkish, but uh-huh. I can't really speak it, okay. uh, but I understand everything when people speak it to uh, me. Okay. So it's, it's, it's interesting how language works. Um, you know, you can, you can understand something, uh, but not necessarily be able to speak it. So, um, what do you think in? Interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, primarily English. When I'm in an English-speaking environment, I would oh, say. Oh, your environment. I think the environment it. has a lot to do with it. Um, if you um, mostly operate and um, and work and live in an English-speaking environment, and that's all around you all the time. Uh, that's that's how that that takes over, I think, okay, and okay. Um, and you often dream in English, and you often, um, even when you speak to yourself, for example, in your quiet moments, you you would you do so in English. So oh, okay. yeah, interesting. Okay. So I'm fascinated by languages. I know only briefly know a couple, but when, when you um, like music, I think is a language. I don't know if you play any, do you play any musical. No, instruments? I'm I'm terrible with um, with musical instruments and so. It's very much a language, and and once you get proficient in one, you can pick up pretty much any instrument, and then try and work it out and and create some some rudimentary kind of you can say something through that new instrument. Mm. And so people ask me why I can play one instrument, I can pick up another, I can end up playing eight, ten different instruments, be rudimentary playing, but I can play them. It's because it's all the same language. And I'm wondering if that's the case with languages. Once you start to learn two or three, it's like adding a fourth is just variations upon skills that you've got. Um, look, if, you, if you're good in languages, and not everyone is, um, if you're good in languages, you certainly have an advantage over others um, when you pick up, even if it's a language that is uh, very, very different to all yeah. the other ones that you speak, yeah. um, if you were to pick it up, um, you'll... Um, you'll find it easier to find your way around how that language works compared mm. to some other people if you've studied languages before. Mm. So studying languages and speaking languages can be two different things. Right. So if you could imagine if you were if you uh, grew up in Australia and you have uh, parents from uh, let's say uh, one parent from Iran and the other parent um, let's say from France yeah. and you end up speaking all three languages, you know, you learn the English at school yeah. and you speak uh, the respective languages of the parents at, at home. Yeah. So you speak your your three languages but 
you haven't really you know you haven't really formally learned them that's as right, such right? right so that person may not have the necessarily have the same advantage uh, compared to a person who's formally learned all those three yes. languages through study yes. and they you know got to know how they work and how they um, how the language yeah. uh, operates and, and things like that so uh, it is interesting just because someone speaks the language doesn't mean that they'll pick up their fourth one easily right um, they might have certain advantages with regard to vocabulary and things like that, but they might not necessarily have the same understanding as to how to find one's way around language. The yeah, way but someone like you who has studied multiple, you'd obviously be able to pick them up quite easily. More, more easily than others, I would say, yeah. But I know people who are uh, more naturally gifted than I am I, um, yeah. when it comes to languages. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's end on this. I'd like to know, I always like to get the perspective of my guests on how they think the community is tracking. Um, how do you, you, so you live and work in Melbourne, right? Yes, I do. Yeah, um, you're hesitating, why? No, no, I do, I do. Um, I was, um, I, I don't know if you know, but I was stuck overseas for what? 11 months in 2020. No, do um, tell. Um, I was, um, I went um, uh, back to Turkey in um, uh, January um, 2020 um, and I was meant to come back in March my flight was cancelled March 2020 that's the height of everything that's yeah. right and then my my flight back was cancelled it was pushed back to June then June was cancelled and soon after the Melbourne airport closed yeah. and I couldn't come back until the airport reopened in in December so a year almost a year oh yeah 12 11 months um, but I'm very lucky to be working um, uh, for a company where I can be very flexible uh, oh, wow. as to where I work from. I okay. work for True Blue Migration, yeah. um, uh, and I'm one of uh, seven um, migration agents that we have. Um, we have offices in um, uh, our primary, our headquarters, if you, you want to call it that, is, is Melbourne, but we also have uh, offices in um, Rockingham and in Perth in WA. I've got agents um, working out of there as well. Um, and we, we work with um, uh, migration manager and you know Dropbox integrated into that and yeah. so on. So I can I can do my job from wherever I want. So the whole time I was over there, I You're was working. I was still working. So yeah. when you said, "Are you based in Melbourne?" I guess I guess yes, I am. But yeah. w what if I were to go back again? Because my my partner and my my wife and child are in Turkey. Oh, they are. They are. Uh, oh, so that's good. You were stuck with them. I was with them, yes, and um, and so we were together. In fact, um, I, I think in some ways it was. Good that I was with them throughout that, those initial yeah. days the, and, and months of the, the pandemic, um, and um, and then I got stuck in Australia where, with all the you know the border restrictions that we talked about. Remember, in, uh, you know, I, I I came back in December twenty twenty, and then and then I was stuck uh, because my departure was then subject to uh, permission. And uh, you, everybody else. Yeah. Okay. And so, how do, you, do they they live there? So do you commute every few the, months? The idea was for me to um, to basically spend you know half my time there and half yeah. my time here yeah um, how does that work how is your kid uh, he's he'll be five in March how do you find being away for so much well it was never the intention for, to be away for that long yeah so it was always the the idea was to go back and uh, spend six months and come back and yeah. spend a few months here and back again and oh, regularly. You know, it's, it's just okay. been it's just been you know the whole thing has been thrown out of whack because of the because of the pandemic I'm hoping that we'll Go back to normal and and I'll go back to what I originally intended to do. I hear Turkey's good. Why not just stay there? Um, well, look, um, uh, there was a re there was a reason why <laughs> I originally left. I suppose mm. so. You know, um, it, it's not part of my plan to to go back uh, permanently. Okay. Um, 
But, um, you know, I'm quite happy to, until some other solution presents itself, I'm quite happy to, to do the backwards and forwards in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. All right, so, yeah, as I was saying, where do you feel the – so you've – okay, you've been stuck in Turkey, I guess. I wanted to know what your feeling is with how how um, migrants are feeling because you do a lot of migrants, how the um, Australian community is feeling. Um, what are you detecting out there? People's attitude towards border restrictions, attitude towards lockdowns, attitudes towards how Australia is perceived on the world stage. Mm, mm. Um, and it's it's interesting because I don't know how much of the um, how much of the information actually gets out to to individual countries out there. So with regard to the to the harsh lockdowns that we had to endure, particularly in um, in Victoria and in New South Wales, I don't know how much of that is known um, or widely known um, in Europe and um, and other places. I know that a um, a part of the U.S. media has picked up on it, mm. uh, particularly with the most recent lockdowns that happened this year, mm. and and that turned into a bit of a thing uh, overseas. Um, so that may have uh, again, but you know how many people who you know uh, uh, how many people are, are that aware again in the you know within within the United States as well. It mm. would be hard to gauge. Um, in terms of um, you know now that um, Australia is well reopened, if you like, to certain visa holders, mm. um, uh, but we're still not seeing the same numbers of people coming in. So the shortages that businesses are experiencing with regard to staff, for instance. Because a lot of businesses um, traditionally have relied, particularly in hospitality mm. um, and in um, in agriculture, fruit picking, and, um, and industries like that, have traditionally uh, relied on uh, working holiday makers. Um, so to, that's way down. Those. That's still way down. That's right. So they, um, I, I have begun to, I think, um, grant those visas, and working holiday makers are able to come back to come to Australia now um, without requiring a travel exemption. Uh, but the numbers are still, it, it will take time for those numbers to go back up to what they were pre-pandemic. So you're talking about the number of applications. You no. just don't have the same number of applications. As, as things stand, yes. No, oh, okay. not, the we demand don't. is we not don't. There. The demand is not there. Because I guess people have the same um, uh, sort of concerns everywhere. You know, yeah. do, they, do they really want to make a, a change and come, come and stay in a, in another country for a couple of years under the circumstances and you know when the pandemic's still raging everywhere around the world uh, that's a decision that they would they would need to make what about other visas student visas and um, the employment visas uh, again um, the processing of those visas have have started um, have started yeah. there was a big backlog that had formed uh, all throughout last year yeah. and, and even going back before um, and um, so I've got a lot of people waiting for decisions on particularly employer-sponsored, uh, temporary employer-sponsored visas from overseas, still haven't been picked up. Okay. Uh, but they are meant to start processing those now okay. because those people are able to come to Australia without uh, without having to require a, um, a travel exemption. Okay. Any Are there any other trends or anything that you want to share with us that you might be seeing that we, we're not because you're in the industry? Um. Look, I think there may have been some damage to the brand, uh, the Australia brand, um, with regard to um, particularly students, because students, uh, the, um, the the student, the uh, the education industry has has always been um, one of the greatest, uh, biggest export um, uh, earners of uh, for Australia, um, and 
and what's happened over the last couple of years where um, students were given student visas but not allowed to come to Australia. So they were still required to pay international fees, still required to uh, study their courses remotely from wherever they were in the world. And um, they were given no discounts. They were given no special dispensation with regard to you know how their course was supposed to go. And, um, and they certainly weren't allowed into Australia um, uh, either. Uh, so I think that's and and word gets around. So people, you know, um, when uh, people are now considering which country to go to f to study, they might be thinking, well, do I really want to mm. give my money to an Australian university where, um, you know, they might just shut the border again and say we're not welcome, and um, but we still have to pay the same fees as as we would do in Australia, and and have to do the whole study remotely. It just doesn't sound like a very good deal. Do they have better options? Other countries that are less... Uh, well, strict. I suppose um, in terms of um, uh, other countries, I don't know if any other country actually shut the door on students for as long as Australia did. Okay. So if you look at comparable countries, I, I'm excluding New Zealand here because same they did thing. the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the UK and Ireland and um, Canada and the United States, they didn't do any such thing. So much friendlier. Okay. So much friendlier to, to the student. immigration, to the education cohort. So um, if I was a, a student, I'd be, I'd be seriously thinking, well, you know, what, what are my risks? Hmm. Mm. Okay. Well, that's sad news to end on. I know, but uh, <laughs> no, but you know, we just have to be realistic. Uh, if uh, if they want to, um, I, I think if the education industry has to, uh, if the education industry wants to um, uh, resurrect the brand or or um, rejuvenate the brand uh, of Australia as a desirable education destination, they need to put greater pressure on the government to ensure that the borders remain open for students. Otherwise, um, why would people take that risk with the massive fees that uh, they are required to pay? So that's, yeah, universities to put that pressure on. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, particularly the group of seven. Yeah, mm. well, they should. I don't mm, know why definitely. they've been a bit quiet. Because no, they're I've, suffering I've big time. Won I've always wondered why. I mean, they. well, yes, they are suffering. At the same time, they, have, um, they, they sit on massive cash and uh, yeah. property holdings. So yeah. that's what's kept them afloat. Yeah. Um, and also they've tried to uh, target um, more in, uh, sort of domestic students, although the, the fees, of course, don't make up for what they get from internationals. Yeah. Um, but going forward, that's not a sustainable business model. So they have to somehow lure those uh, international students back to, back to Australia. And the only way they can uh, do that is by ensuring that the government... Um, 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 applies consistent policy uh, right across the board. Well, um, thank you for explaining so much to us today. This is Anka Sahin from True Blue Migration. I guess if people want visas, they should go to um, the website, which we're going to put below. Uh, All right. Good luck traveling back to Turkey. And some of us would like to hitch a ride, I think. Oh, uh, why not? <laughs> because so, so many, you know, We've been taught, I was raised, I was born here, right? We've been taught that Australia and USA, the West, is better, right? Mm. It's, a little bit, it's a little bit racist. But we're taught that it's better than these other backwater countries. No one wants to live in Serbia. No one wants to live in Croatia. People flee these places to come here. Mm. And what we're discovering is, no, no, no. It's, uh, we're, we're listening to propaganda from the Australian government saying, this is the only place you can live. Don't even think about moving your life to Turkey. But there are other places to live in the world. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think I think uh, the pandemic has provided an opportunity 
for people to to see through some of that propaganda and and actually discover that um, you know there could be other places where they might um, find that they would be happier. I have many people who are saying we now live in Croatia, mm. we now live in UK, we now live in all these places, and we're much happier than we were in Melbourne. So no, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> I had fun. Hope you did. I, did. I learned a lot. <laughs> I support you and what you're trying to do with the People's Project and Discernible generally is that we don't have enough discussion in Victoria and Australia generally. You know, everything's cut down to a 30 second grab on, on the primetime news or a, I'm someone who likes to communicate, get out and meet people yeah. and this is an opportunity to do it and you do a great job. So thanks. Thank you, Richard.